This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We at the Nasty Woman Club pay our respects to the traditional custodians of the Mianjin land. We acknowledge that we are on the stolen lands of the Yaraga and Turbul people, whose sovereignty was never ceded. This is a Lip Media Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Nasty Woman Best Of series. I'm your host Demi Lynch and I cannot wait to share with you all another one of my favourite episodes from the Nasty Woman Club archives. To celebrate Women's History Month I'll be sharing with you all just some of my favourite guests I've had on this show and I absolutely had to include Kate Elizabeth. Now, this interview that I'm sharing with you all is from 2019, and since then, she has been thriving. So, Kate Elizabeth, several years ago, was diagnosed with cervical cancer, and since this chat, she has beaten cervical cancer, and her and her partner have had a beautiful baby girl named Zoe. So, I really think this chat will be very good to see how far Kate has come and also a great reminder to get your pap smears because Kate is all about reminding people, advocating for people to get their pap smears. But yes, I cannot wait for you all to go back in time with me to my chat with the beautiful Kate Elizabeth. Hi, Demi. Hi, Kate. How's it going? How are you feeling? Oh, I'm a bit sore this morning, but that's pretty much been the status quo since this has happened, so I'm sort of getting used to being in pain, but I am super happy to just, I don't know if I can spread the word a little bit using what's happened to me and and help. Like, since this has happened to me, I've, I've had probably 50 women contact me saying that they're overdue for their pap smears or they've had this lump that they wanted to get checked out for months or whatever. A woman texted me saying that she was 10 years overdue for a pap smear. Like, it just blows my mind that we're just not we don't look after ourselves definitely so what i wanted to firstly talk to you about nothing to do with the c word this bullshit disease i want to talk to you about what your life was before this was brought into your life so you recently got married my wife and i met in 2011 um we met at police academy we were both little um student police officers down in sunny goulburn and we, we were just friends for many, many years. And I got posted in Maroubra in Sydney and she got posted up in Coffs Harbour. We were just friends for um, a lot of years. And I definitely didn't grow up wanting to be a cop, but I basically just wanted to be Olivia Benson from Law & Order SVU. Yes. That was my, <laughs> that was my <laughs> career goal. But my wife has always wanted to be a cop. She's an amazing police officer. Mm-hmm. So when I met Crystal, I was actually engaged to be married to a man. So I put a little bit of a spanner in the works and put 
things with us on hold a little bit. But um, yeah, we both went sort of our separate ways, stayed friends. I became a detective, so I was sort of getting one step closer to my dream of being Olivia Benson. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, basically um, about five years ago, um, Chris, I, I had broken up with this the guy that I was with and Chris and I were still friends. And, um, yeah, we ended up just getting together and I had to sort of turn around to my family and my friends and all my loved ones and say, yeah, so you know how you thought I was going to get married to a guy? Well, that's not happening anymore, but I'm still really happy and got this beautiful girlfriend and and that sort of thing. So um, that was an interesting life experience, I guess. But everyone has just been amazing. My whole family and, and all my friends have just just love Crystal as much as I do. And then, yeah, we got married in 2018 in February. We planned the wedding before the plebiscite was announced. Mm -hmm. So we had just planned to do, I guess, a civil ceremony, but with all the the trappings of a wedding. And then when they announced the plebiscite, we still didn't think that it was going to pass. Oh, really? And no, I just... (sighs) much as I have faith in the people around me, the people I surround myself with, it's hard, maybe because of our job, it's hard to have faith in like the greater humanity maybe. I don't know. You you know, you just experienced so many people who were so vocal about their homophobia during Mm. that time and I'd never experienced that before. That was a really horrible experience but obviously it passed and I remember sitting with my wife watching the announcement on television and I looked over to her and she was completely freaking out because I don't think she realised when she proposed that we would actually be like really getting married. (laughs) So she had a little bit of a moment but um, it was just, it was amazing the fact that we were actually able to legally get married and the way that it worked out because our wedding was already booked we ended up being one of the first same-sex marriages in New South Wales our celebrant had to put a rush through on our 30-day notice of intent to marry and all that sort of thing so yeah we were just lucky in the timing that we were able to get that all through so that we could get legally married so it was just it was the best day Oh, that's incredible. And that's such amazing timing because I can imagine that would have just been such a rough year having to deal with all the campaigns happening and hear about this government spending all this money because they can't just vote it themselves. They have to put it in the public to do so. I can imagine that would have been such a rough year with that while trying to plan a wedding. It was. It was a really... 2017, I was just talking about it then, it was a really, really rough year with all of that going on, planning a wedding. I was doing... Um, I had a lot on with work, um, with a, a lot of big things happening, um, big cases happening, lots of sort of pretty traumatic jobs that I had gone to in that year and then all of that, it was just... Yeah, it was not, not a good time because you just don't realise that people even people that you love or people that you respect hold these particular views and everyone had sort of been living quietly but the plebiscite I think allowed people a platform to voice their homophobia. Because it can be very hard when there's people that you love and you adore them and then you hear that there's just it's just one particular view, one value that they hold so differently to you Mm. that 
impacts you so much but probably just doesn't mm. impact them so much what's that like there's some people you just can't all of a sudden hate mm. because they have a different value or thought to you but when it's your whole life it can just be so hard mm, definitely and the my brother is gay so he came out when he was about 14 or 15 um, and I'm only 18 months older than him so I had lived through this coming out process with him about a decade before I came out with my wife and I was really, I'm very good I think at compartmentalising people and saying you're allowed to have your view and you're allowed to have your opinion and if it's not based on any sort of factual evidence, which I don't think any homophobic argument is, I can't waste my energy and my breath arguing with you to try and change that. All I can do is live my life in a way that's true and honourable to me and hopefully show you by doing that we're no threat to you, we're no different to you, we're as beautiful and as loving as anyone else in this world and our relationships are the same and just and show people through my life that homophobia, you, you can't, you just can't live that way or you shouldn't live that way. So I don't tend to waste too much energy on toxic people and just live my life the way that it is, do my best to change the world a little bit sometimes in that sort of way, I guess. And is that why you, other than the fact you wanted to become the new Olivia Benson, is that why you also <laughs> wanted to join the police force to to feel so you yeah. can change the world at some way? So, yeah, yeah. So I... The reason, and this has all kind of only really come about retrospectively, you know, thinking about things now that I've got all this time on my hands to lay on my back and look at the ceiling, that I think the reason that I decided that I wanted to become a police officer and specifically go into a lot of cases with sexual assaults and historical sexual assaults and everything that that entails is because... I had such an amazing upbringing. I am so blessed with two beautiful parents that have been together since they were 14. I had nothing bad has ever happened to me in my life up until now. But I had such a beautiful upbringing and was so blessed to have that. And I feel like it's my mission or my karma to try and help people that didn't have the same opportunities that I did growing up. And, you know, it's not to say that, you know, we did, I didn't grow up drenched in money and holidays and everything. I just meant that I had, I had a really good, wholesome, lovely family and really good upbringing. And a lot of people in the world don't get that chance. And a lot of bad things happen to children that don't know that they can report it at the time and then they come in as adults and it's basically shaped their entire life and I just hope that I'm able to give them a little bit of closure or a little bit of bit of help in, in letting go of that trauma and that pain mm-hmm. and, yeah, that's just kind of why I think that I've, I've sort of gravitated towards those types of cases and, and that type of work. Because you and your wife both work in the police force and your work life is very heavy and it can impact you emotionally and mentally. What's that like then coming back home? Is it a no discussion about work? It's just easy thinking or just what's it like coming back home? 
it's both. So some days you just need to talk about it and you need to just get it off your chest and and it, it's it's not necessarily a back and forth. A lot of the time if my wife's had a bad day, she comes home and just needs to vent about what's happened to her and and it's not me, you know, engaging and we, we, don't, we don't get really like sort of into it. It's just her saying this has happened and, and me saying, yeah, that's really shit that that's happened and I'm so sorry and you can't say anything to make it better. The stuff that we see is beyond what anyone should see and the just the, the, the magnitude but then the, the quantity of seeing that over and over again, it does desensitise you a little bit. So I'm really, I'm really careful about wanting to talk about it because I think sometimes when you, you don't talk about it and you shut down, that can be a bit detrimental to your, your mental health. Um, being that it's two girls, I think that we have a better, um, you know, we're always talking. It's constantly, there's never silence in our house. We're always talking to each other. So that's probably a bit of a benefit that we've got being in a same-sex relationship. Sometimes she'll come home or I'll come home and you just you just need a day of not discussing it at all, but it does eventually come up anyway. So you sort of have to give it some time, but don't let it fester. So now I'm going to go on to the big C. Yep. I'm going to use the very cliche, cheesy word, journey. How did the the journey of it begin? How did it all start? So we, like I said, we got married back in February 2018. My wife has been um, gunning to have babies for a little while now, but I had said I just wanted a year after we got married to travel and we, we also moved, so we moved from um, working, we were both working in Sydney at the time, and we moved to a really tiny 300-person community um, about 50 k's um, north of Moree in northwest New South Wales. So we were, yeah, we definitely had a tree change in amongst all that as well and sort of did our honeymoon and did a bit of travel and in... February 2019, so this year, we had our one-year anniversary and I was like, yep, beautiful, you know, I'm ticking all the boxes of my life, I've, um, we, we had saved enough money for IVF and I was happy to sort of start the journey. We found a gynecologist that we were happy with and a fertility specialist that we were happy to go through and as part of our IVF workup, we both qualified to get pap smears and my wife and I were both overdue. I was overdue by about 12 months and we had them both done. It was all fine. We got our results back and the gynecologist said that um, I had some abnormal cells, which was not abnormal. (laughs) Apparently it happens to a lot of people. I'd never had abnormal cells before, so I had to come back up for a biopsy. And because we're living in rural New South Wales now, this is about a six-hour journey every time you're having to have a procedure done or have an appointment. So there's a little bit of sort of time that's passing, probably a couple of weeks, and we go up for the biopsy, and she has the biopsy and um, says, oh, look, it all looks okay. Don't Try not to stress about anything. I'm sure it's all going to be fine. And so I sort of put it to the back of my mind. And... Then about a week later, I got a phone call from the gynecologist's secretary and I was at work and she said, are you with your wife? And I said, no. And she said, I need you to be with your wife. 
the doctor's going to call you. And of course, my blood just drained from my body completely. I raced home to be with my wife and because we live so rurally, we had this news delivered to us via Skype. So the, the doctor gets on Skype and she said the biopsies had come back positive for cancer. And my initial reaction was that it was going to delay us having kids. So that was my that was my major concern. And then when she spoke more, she said it's not about you having kids, it's about you surviving. So it really turned me on my head because that was my one goal and she's saying to me, Well it doesn't matter whether you can have kids if you're not here, it's a moot point, you know. And that just completely obviously changed the course of my life because I wasn't sick. I basically have almost no symptoms. I was only 12 months overdue for a pap smear. All of my last tests had come back fine. I'm healthy. I'm young. I've never had any problems really with my periods or anything like that. And this was just completely left field. And we were just, I've, I've never, there's nothing in my family, um, touch wood, um, there's no family history of any real types of cancer in my family and we were just, I don't even know the, the words to describe what that time period was like after getting that diagnosis. It was just, the only way that I can describe it was very dark, very, very dark. What was it like having to tell this to your friends and family? Because because I can imagine it's not just one person you have to tell. You've got to tell the people at work. You've got to tell uh-huh. your wife's family your or your friends and then your family. What's that like having yeah. to repeatedly having to then tell everyone about? Yeah. And it's not exciting news. It's horrible, <laughs> horrible news. What's that like? What was that like for you emotionally? Oh, soul-destroying, basically because everyone, I'm, I'm quite vocal with the fact that we were going through IVF and that we were starting that process. And so when I'm when I'm reading people with news, they're thinking that it's going to be good news um, and then it's this. So the, the thing that I did was kind of created like a bit of a phone tree. So I was only having to tell one or two people who then told other people who then passed the news on. So I wasn't having to repeat it constantly you know, over and over again to different people, which was, that was really helpful. And my wife was amazing. She's been amazing through the whole thing, but she was really amazing with that, letting people know that needed to know. Um, My mum was on the first flight to me. She's been basically with us ever since. She's a nurse too, so she kind of speaks the language, which was another thing that we just didn't, I didn't even know what an oncologist was a month ago. I didn't know what adenocarcinoma was or the difference between like I, I sort of said, where's my cervix? You know, where's I don't even know the the where this this cancer is and what it's doing to me. It was just a whole different language, and it's just like I said, it just turns your whole world around. Mm-hmm. But everyone that we had to speak with, and everyone that we told, and everyone that has reached out to me has just been amazing. Even the little tiny community that I'm in that we only moved to six months ago and, and, you know, we're two girls, we're two female cops coming into a very, very small country town that 
is very sort of like it's it's all farmers. They're all white. They're all of a certain age, and they haven't experienced anything like us before. And they have been absolutely amazing and so supportive, and have really rallied around us. So that makes me very, very. Oh God, you're going to make me cry now. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. That that surprised me. I was so so honoured and humbled to be part of a little community that has absolutely accepted us with open arms even before all this happened and now are just rallying behind us so much. So I've got the most incredible support network you could possibly want going into something like this and I'm so, so grateful for it. It's been a real, it's been a real lesson in how loved I am. So something good has come out of something so shitty yeah and Lisa and you can truly see just how many people really really care about you absolutely it's yeah. just people and strangers and you know people reaching out to you that don't have don't have a lot themselves and they're <clears throat> they're doing as much as they can to help you and it just I was speaking to my wife about it because of what we do we spend a lot of time with like not bad people but people that are going through bad things or having a really bad day and or you know the type of people that we deal with are different to what the normal general population spends time with day in day out and it sort of makes you it can make you a bit hardened to humanity and it, it makes you think that there's more badness in the world than there really is and this has made us both see how much good there is in the world and how good people are and that's been a really lovely outcome of this. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. So after you get diagnosed, after you go through the emotion, the the really, really emotionally strong hard part of having to tell people, what was the next step then? Yep. So we've sort of we've told everyone, um, and the, the next thing that happens was almost the worst thing that's happened in this whole thing. And that was just nothing. We just had to wait. And it, that was the hardest thing about this whole process is that there was almost just radio silence. So we got the diagnosis and we had to wait to hear from the specialist as to when we could get up to see her and, and what the next process was. And we literally didn't hear from anyone for probably about four days and so you're sitting by the phone um, 
everyone's got all these questions for you about what stage you're at and what the process is and what the treatment options are and what survival rates and all that and I don't have any answers for anyone and and my friends are grieving and my family's grieving and cancer's such a scary word but I didn't have any answers for anyone because no I didn't there, yeah, it was radio silence and they were really 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 hard days and like I said I had my mum there and Crystal there but because we're so isolated, you know, I didn't have any other friends or family around. But then we went to travel to Brisbane and met with the oncologist who did some more tests. And she said, because I hadn't had children and that we, want, we wanted to try and have children, was that I was a candidate for a surgery called a trachelectomy which is a basically a partial hysterectomy, so as opposed to taking out the entire uterus, the fallopian tubes, and the eggs, um, the ovaries, sorry. The um, trachelectomy just removes the cervix, so the, the kind of the center part, and then your bottom end of your uterus is attached surgically to the top of your um, vagina. And in theory, after that, there is still an option for you to try to conceive children. So I was really excited about that. So I got a lot of tests and stuff done. I had a PET scan which shows up where the cancer is in your body and the PETs, so obviously they want to make sure that it hasn't spread to any other major organs or it's not in your blood supply or anything. And the PET scan showed up that it was just sitting right where we thought it was, right in my cervix. It was about the size of a golf ball. And again, I had next to no symptoms. Um, so it was just, it's bizarre to see this 3D image of you with this big red glowing cancer sitting right in the center of you that you just didn't even know was there. And the the real kicker was that on the PET scan it shows up as yeah no cancer had spread, but the PET scan gives you and I, I don't want to get too technical, but it gives you a false negative for lymph nodes. Mm-hmm. So your lymph nodes are um, what uh, your body uses to. I mean, I, this is all very new to me, but yeah, it's like it's it's they're kind of the um, the drainage system for your body. Obviously, if it spreads into your lymph nodes, then that's quite concerning because it's quite easy for it to then use your blood supply to travel to other organs in your body. So it was showing up as negative, have been as being in my lymph nodes on the PET scan, but because it shows up as a false negative on the PET scan, they still wanted to remove my lymph nodes during the trachelectomy in order to biopsy them just to make sure that it hadn't spread. And so I had the surgery a week ago yesterday and I had to wait about three or four days for the biopsies to come back on lymph nodes. The doctor had said, again, everything looks fine. They're they're a good size. Um, I'm pretty confident that they haven't spread. So again, I start relaxing and thinking, okay, we're through this. Um, I'm still going to be able to potentially try and conceive. Hope is not all lost. I just need to get over this horrendous pain that I'm in and this huge incision right across my, my stomach, which is just super, super painful. And then the doctor came in, yeah, three or four days later and said that of the six lymph nodes that I had removed, one of them had a six millimetre um, deposit of cancer in them. So I now have to undergo radiotherapy 
for about seven weeks. Um, and because of that, the radiotherapy targets my pelvis and all my reproductive organs. And because of that, um, I won't be able to, or they've said that I won't be able to carry children of my own. So that has been a, a real, like triple whammy really of, you know, having the cancer and then having it spread and having to recover from the surgery, but then also knowing that there's more treatment down the track and that that treatment will mean that I'm not going to be able to, to have babies. How's Crystal been with finding out this news and then having to go through, you having to go through this treatment? She, nothing short of absolutely incredible. She's been the most amazing support that I could have asked for and she keeps me focused on the fact that there's no point worry, no point expending energy on worrying or grieving about not being able to have babies if you're not here. Her priority is having me here and having our life, whatever that may look like down the track and however we decide to have a family or, or what we do is more important than than trying to jeopardise my life to maybe have a, a baby down the track and she really keeps me focused on that and she's been so strong. She's had a couple of little breakdowns and I probably haven't seen the majority of her breakdowns, but when she's with me, she's, she's incredible. She's, she's been my nurse and, you know, I don't think that when we said our marriage vows a year ago in sickness and in health that she quite thought the sickness was going to come around as quick as it did. And she's had to, she's had to see some things in the last couple of days that I don't think any newlywed couple should have to see one another <laughs> but she has just not bad an eyelid I cannot I'm, I'll never be able to thank her enough for how lovely she's been and she's just does it with no she just says this is what you do this is love and this is marriage and this is what we this is our life now and yeah she's just she's incredible I wouldn't have gotten through it without her you're gonna make me cry now. <laughs> <laughs> I just never thought that I would. Have, we would have to do this, yeah. and um, you know, your life. You can plan all you want, and I'm a planner. I know I said that to you before. <laughs> um, and I'm such a planner, and mm. I'm such a, you know, I'm an A-type personality, and I've got my. This is what's happening in my life, and it's just not what happens, and it's not how it works, and you've got to really roll with the punches. And she, God, she is just been above and beyond and yeah I wouldn't have I'd be an absolute I mean I'm a mess anyway but I would be <laughs> oh I wouldn't be able to get out of bed I wouldn't be I wouldn't have gotten through this without her yeah she sounds incredible absolutely incredible oh she's she's beyond incredible she's yeah and I also saw recently that you another group of people that you were praising a lot was the nurses that oh. have helped you because your mum is also a nurse as well so yes. then what was that like then oh. really experiencing all over again how hard-working and amazing nurses really really are oh I so my, my parents are both nurses and oh, wow. <laughs> growing up we sort of had this um, adage in my family that it's like 
you'll be fine. Don't worry about it. If you break your arm, you've got another arm. You, you know, you've, you, you never in, you couldn't be in enough pain to really like get mum and dad's attention. They're just, you know, they, they saw so much and dealt with so much at work that to come home to a couple of grazed knees or, you know, you'd fallen off your bike or something and they were just like, oh, you'll be right, dust yourself off. And so I always thought <laughs> were a bit, bit uh, like hard like that. And now I know why they are the way they are because of what nurses deal with day to day and the compassion that they have to show for people who are in insane amounts of pain. And I just cannot, I take my hat off to nurses. I could not do that in a million years. And they do it with, with a smile and they're lovely and it's, it's shitty work and they're dealing with like body fluids and, you know, they're, they're helping you get in the shower and they're getting you up and about and they seem genuinely engaged in your recovery. And the nurses that I had, I cannot ever, like I said, thank them enough for how they treated me and, and how invested they were in, in my recovery. And it just it gives me a new appreciation for both of my parents and the kind of work that they do and, and all nurses do. They just, oh, they need to be paid more is all I can say. <laughs> yeah. Did you want to do a yeah. little shout-out to some nurses in particular that were really helpful? Oh, every single nurse that worked on the Eastern 10 Ward at Mater Private Hospital, Claire, Amy, Sam, Natalie, Anne... Oh, just all of them, Hannah, and even the, the student nurses as well, they get the worst of it. They're not even getting paid and they get given the worst jobs out of everyone and they do it with a smile. They're just incredible human. They're just, they're not even humans. They're like angels. They're, some, they're sent from God and I don't know, they're just beautiful, beautiful people. And, um, yeah, if they are listening to this, oh, come and have a glass of wine with me when I'm recovered and... Um, yeah, it's my shout. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing, something that you have been doing during this chaos. So you you already had a jewelry business, beautiful jewelry mm -hmm. business, and Thank you've you. decided to not only continue it, but you have you're doing your jewelry business with the cause. Could you please explain yes. that to listeners? Yes. So about a year ago, I started making jewellery as a bit of a creative outlet, mostly to kind of deal with a little bit of probably anxiety and not necessarily PTSD, but some, you know, trauma experiences that I had through work and just as something as a little side outlet for me. And it started sort of taking off a little bit. My friends were asking me to make things for them and started up a little Instagram and it got a little bit of traction. It was really nice to have something to do that was just the complete opposite to police work. And it just was a, like, it's like my art. It's like my, my, my way to create something that's, I think is really beautiful and seeing them out and about on people has just been uh, an amazing experience. But I, when, once all this happened, I knew that I wanted to try and spread a message of awareness about our gynecological health. And I think that 
there's been such so this all started in February and I've started I'm a bit um, of a chatterbox when it comes to this kind of thing and I'll just be like how's your pap smear are you up to date with your pap smear you know and women are just like oh God, no I'm not and I can't believe the amount of women that I've spoken to that are behind on their pap smears or haven't been getting a period for a year at a time or have a lump in their boob or are getting a bleeding. Uh, you know, between their periods or abnormal discharge and all these things and all these words that we don't want to talk about. And I just, I can't believe the scale of the just not wanting to deal with it. And so because I've been talking about it so much, I thought there has to be a way to start this conversation a little bit. And I did notice every time I wore my stack, so I make um, like a, like stacks of bracelets, so three or four bracelets at once, and they're pretty out there, and they've got lots of jewels and charms and stuff on them. And someone would say to me, "Oh my god, I love your I love your bracelets," and I'd say, "Thank you so much. I make them." And here's my business card, and jump on my Instagram and have a quiz. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing? You know, you're in the bathrooms at a club and someone goes, oh my God, I love your bracelets. And you make best friends with someone while you're standing in the line to the bathroom for five minutes. And you go, <laughs> oh, you know, this, thank you so much. The girl that makes these bracelets actually has cervical cancer. And, you know, make sure you're up to date with your pap smear and, you know, check in with yourself and blah, blah, blah. And it's just that, it's that two minute conversation that you have with someone who is probably just <laughs> saying something nice for the sake of it and probably didn't expect you to launch into, you know, her gynecological health. But it just can trigger something and it can trigger the conversation and just gets us talking a little bit more because it's incredible to think about all these beautiful, intelligent women who are out there, you know, doing their careers and looking after their families and doing things for other people but aren't looking after themselves. And there's so much stuff that we we don't talk about even with our best friends and I think it's time that we do start talking about it because that's the the alternative is what I'm going through at the moment and it's not worth it yeah so how are you going though like how are you going yeah so like right now I'm good but like an hour ago I was bawling my eyes out and <laughs> an hour before that I was okay so it's really just up and down. The the jewellery stuff is really giving me, I know that sounds a bit silly and a bit trivial, but the thought of continuing to spread my message through being creative and being able to maybe help people has given me some drive and is getting me through a little bit more um, than what it would have been if I didn't have that to concentrate on. So a lot of people have reached out to me through my Instagram and my Facebook um, and have just, you know, been giving me messages of support but also saying that they want to get on board with the the message. So I've created um, some bracelets um, that I'm going to call the Say Something Stacks. So there's been a real... Um, interest in those and, and the message that's behind them and just saying something and starting the conversation around gynecological health. And that has given me a bit of a, a, a new, a bit of a lease on life and it's in a, enabled me to get out of my, my pain brain, I guess, of just lying here and 
and thinking about how much pain I'm in and how hard life is going to be and how different my life is um, than what I thought it was going to be because it still means that there's there's a lot of meaning um, that I'm yet to discover and a lot of things I'm yet to do and I'm hoping that my story can maybe help someone else and if it helps one other person then, you know, still I still feel like Olivia Benson but <laughs> I'm just doing it from a hospital bed <laughs> at the moment <laughs> but I still feel like I'm kind of, I'm hopefully helping people in a different way. Well, Olivia Benson would be very proud. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hope so. I hope so. But, yeah, it's been a long – it's been a very challenging road. I'm trying to stay positive, and that works most of the time. I have still have my little breakdowns, but I think I'm entitled to them, and I just embrace them when they come and try and get back up on my feet after – after I do have a little bit of a meltdown. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but talking to people about it has really, you know, even doing things like this and, and trying to get my message out there has been a really good healing method. You're definitely already changing so many lives, as you've already said. <laughs> I think also in particular with women, we so often try and care for other people and try to oh, make sure absolutely. everyone else is okay but yet we forget about our own health. So you already are helping so many women recognize that, hey, you know, I better put on my, what is it that you put on the planes? You better put on my air mask first before I help someone else. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Help yourself because if you can't help yourself, you can't help other people. And, you know, like I said, this the alternative of not getting a pap smear or not going to see your GP or whatever is this. And this is really shitty. This is really hard. A pap smear, I would get a pap smear every day for the rest of my life life if I didn't have to do this. Like this is, don't, don't fear the smear is what I'm saying. Just get it, <laughs> get it done. And you know, it's, it's not worth putting off. And uh, I just, we really do need to get serious about it. And it's not, you know, it's really, it's not as scary as we make it out to be. And you do have, you have to make time for yourself um, and your health and you look after yourself. Well, it's been absolutely incredible talking to you. You've made me teary several times, but it's been absolutely incredible. <laughs> oh, Demi, I'm sorry. I, I wasn't going, I had my little breakdown this morning, so I thought I had cleansed myself of all my tears, but... Yeah, I suppose that's probably not going to – I'm probably going to have a few little breakdowns every mm. every now and again. So, yeah, yeah I'm yeah, sorry for the every tears, right, but... so – and you're human. And But it honestly has <laughs> yep. just been so incredible talking to you. You're so incredible. Thank and you. for you saying you have no story, I'm sorry, <laughs> is a load of crap. <laughs> so I did just look at – it's been a 45-minute chat, so I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe I do have something to say after all. <laughs> Yes. Sorry, I can. If you give if you give me a microphone, I'll just run with it. So That's... yeah, no, thank you so much for listening and for the opportunity to to speak to you and your listeners and to spread the message a little bit further. So I really appreciate it. Yes, it's been an absolute pleasure. And when you are recovering from your radiotherapy, we are going to go and get a wine. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Definitely, because... it's going to happen. See, um, all these people. It's amazing. You meet all these people in like you know the the internet, and they just you know be, they become friends. And mum's like, but you haven't met these girls, you know. And I'm like, yeah, but they're still my friends, mum. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see, the internet, does, the internet does have a good side. It can be weird as it hell does. some ways, but it can be good. 
it can be, and I have seen the good side. I've seen the good side of the world and humanity and the internet, and yeah, it's been a really amazing lesson in in love. And um, people are good. People are really good. And yeah, pay pay the nurses more. That's that's the big message as well. Pay them more, the poor things. But yeah. no, you're lovely, Demi. Thank you so much for yeah, the opportunity to chat and- to you. It's been lovely. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of the Nasty Woman Club Best of Series. If you want to know more about Kate Elizabeth and her journey, make sure you head on over to her Instagram page, The Blissful Whistle. Tomorrow, I'll be in your ears again with another Best of episode for the Nasty Woman Club series. And if you do enjoy the Nasty Woman Club platform, please make sure you leave a review. Every review, every share, every rating helps grow this independent platform. I'll be in your ears tomorrow for another episode of the Best of Nasty Woman Club series. I'm your host, Demi Lynch. Stay nasty, everyone.